Imagine seeing someone you fancy, but you don't have the courage to ask them out and then someone else does. Or not going to a party, only to see numerous pictures of all your friends having fun there later on, on social media. Now imagine this, but instead of a party or a date, you lost out on thousands of dollars. That is the crushing feeling of fear of missing out, or FOMO as it's more commonly known, and the feeling many are probably having at this very moment due to Bitcoin. Hi, I'm Sam Breakgear and you're listening to Brains Bite Back, your podcast looking at the intersection between psychology and technology. In today's episode, we will explore how this FOMO, alongside other psychological factors, influences the price of Bitcoin. You will learn what are the biological mechanisms that happen when we are having FOMO, how the news influences public opinion of Bitcoin, and the different types of Bitcoin investors and what separates them psychologically. Joining us on the show is a full stack software engineer and Bitcoin fanatic who has closely watched this space since 2014, Federico De Faveri. Originally from Italy, Federico is now based in Miami and is the co-founder of Keen, a full-service digital agency. We discuss how pump-and-dump scams work in the crypto world, how trading bots with stop losses create a domino effect that can lead to price dips or rallies, and the best way to find trustworthy Bitcoin news. But before our chat with Federico, we're going to take a step back to briefly understand how Bitcoin works, how it is mined, and the technical factors that influence its price. To do this, we are joined by Nick Hansen, CEO of Luxa Technology, the largest Bitcoin mining pool in North America. Nick shares with us an analogy to better understand how Bitcoin works, how mining influences its price, and what a Bitcoin halving is. And stay tuned to the end where we ask both experts what their predictions are for Bitcoin's price in 2021. Now, if you like this episode, some other Brainspike Back episodes you might enjoy are how online casinos bet on addicts through psychological ploys, the impact of gold and crypto on global currencies, and one of our oldest episodes, Getting Started with Bitcoin with Jack Dossman, the founder of Crypto Beginners. You can find all these episodes and more on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podcast Addict, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube under the Sociables channel. Just search Brains Bite Back and we will be there. And make sure you subscribe and follow us to never miss an episode. Now, on with the show. So my name is Nick Hansen. I'm the CEO of Luxor Technology. Prior to building Luxor, I was a lead member of technical staff at Salesforce, working on Einstein, which is effectively um, Alexa for Salesforce. We started building Luxor in 2017 uh, with a very narrow vision, which was just building mining pools for some altcoins, uh, coins that are not Bitcoin, that we thought were high quality. Some of the ones you may have heard of, uh, like Monero or Zcash, um, Sycoin, Decred, and from there, we started to realize that there's a pretty large uh, disparity in the market that we could start to capitalize on, which is this idea that a hash rate, um, when I say hash rate, that's the computing power that's actually mining the coins, uh, could be traded. Uh, it's a liquid asset that can be uh, moved around between buyers and sellers. Uh, so that's what we're working on currently, and we think this is a pretty revolutionary idea, and you know, we have a lot of people that think that as well. One of the side effects is that you'll eventually be able to build uh, derivatives marketplaces based on this. So uh, in the same way that oil you know, has futures and you know, big oil producers hedge their bets on oil, we'll be able to do the same thing with hash rate producers or, my, or you know, compute power producers. Uh, they'll be able to hedge their risk in the market. 
So if the price of Bitcoin goes up or down, their bottom line is can be less affected in, in a very same way as, as oil. So uh, that's an intro to Luxor. That's an intro to myself and uh, you know, a bit of the background and some of the things that we're working on. Super. Well, thank you for joining us today. And I'm really pleased to have your, yourself and your knowledge on the show because uh, I have a real interest in this. And I'd love to kick off with the most simple question, especially for anyone listening that maybe doesn't know much about Bitcoin. Can you give a brief, simplified explanation of how Bitcoin works? Can. And I think the best way to think about Bitcoin uh, is imagine your checkbook. Maybe some of the, maybe some of the younger millennials and zennials may not know what that is, but uh, we used to have a checkbook and you would put in, uh, if I needed to pay somebody $100, I would debit my account $100 and credit their account $100. And so at the end of the month, my checkbook account should always add up to zero or whatever's left over is my balance. Uh, in the same way, the Bitcoin network is effectively a, is a ledger, uh, this, it's called a distributed ledger, uh, that has all of the transactions that everybody has. So for a particular person uh, or address or an account in Bitcoin, you can go through and see just how many Bitcoin that person has because you can see where they received Bitcoin and where they sent Bitcoin. So that's a very basic explanation of how Bitcoin works. And uh, all of this is transparent and open and, and, and you can you know, look at all of this data. And so when I tell uh, the network that I'm sending you 100, you know, 10 Bitcoin or whatever, you know, that's $400,000 now, but um, when I send you, you know, 0.1 Bitcoin, um, the, you know, the network all agrees. Everybody sees, okay, this person has the Bitcoin to give and the other person, you know, the address is valid and the transaction, you know, all of the parameters of the transaction are valid uh, and they all agree. And that's called the consensus, you know, the distributed ledger and consensus are two very uh, important concepts in, uh, in Bitcoin and crypto as a, as a whole. Fantastic. And uh, yeah, I think that that checkbook, analogy works for anyone that um, understands checkbooks. You summarized it very well, but um, there's another aspect that we're going to talk about today, uh, which is something that I know you specialize in, and it's Bitcoin mining. And I'd love to know if you're able to explain to us why is Bitcoin mining important and how can it impact the overall value of Bitcoin? Yeah, so Bitcoin mining and you know crypto mining is something that's very near and dear to my heart. Built a company around it. I uh, have been doing it for a long time. What that really at the end of the day means is somebody is expending energy uh, to verify that your transactions are valid. There's a lot of complexity in this. It's a very, very interesting economic game theory problem because as more and more people are attempting to verify, it becomes more and more difficult to actually earn the rewards. Uh, it's a parameter called the difficulty of the, of the Bitcoin blockchain. Uh, the same way that we all agree that your transactions are valid, we all agree what the difficulty of the network is at any given point in time based on all of these parameters of the network. And so as the difficulty increases, it becomes more and more difficult to mine that next Bitcoin. And so what that does is that incentivizes people to compete and you know, generate uh, Bitcoin at lower and lower costs. Actually right now, really interesting with, with the latest hardware, uh, the best hardware that you can buy and three cent power, which is pretty low, but in Bitcoin mining, that's about average. Uh, in, in institutional grade Bitcoin mining, that's about average. Uh, you can mine a Bitcoin for about $3,000. So you're looking at very, very nice margins right now. But to get there, to get to this point where you're now mining Bitcoin at a very large margin, uh, you had to go through the trough of sorrow, which was 2018 and 2019, where you know, the price of Bitcoin was not much higher than, you know, than that $3,000. And so it's a really interesting problem that big miners these days are trying to figure out how, how to game. And along you know, with these, these hash rate derivatives, some of these financial instruments that we're thinking about bringing to, or that we're going to be bringing to the market, 
uh, it'll help flatten disparity a bit. So instead of, you know, they may, they may sell forward some of their potential profit in the future to bring that profit into, uh, into the books now. Uh, that's something that will help make mining a lot more uh, economical in the future. Now, how does that affect the price of Bitcoin? It does set a very effective floor, which we did see in March. Like when we hit uh, March of 2020, uh, I should say, when we hit um, just under $4,000, around, it was like 30, around $3,500, the market immediately rejected that price and started buying up Bitcoin. And I think that is fundamental to the cost to produce a Bitcoin. You know, miners are not going to be interested in selling at a loss. Uh, so they'll just hold uh, and they're, they're incentivized to do so because they've made millions and millions of dollars of investment selling their Bitcoin for a price that they think is suboptimal. It's definitely not something they're going to do. So it's a bit of a long-winded answer, but I think it required a bit of uh, a background on how Bitcoin mining actually works, you know, how those big swings in profitability affect the price. Uh, and then at the bottom line, I think you know, knowing that the price of Bitcoin uh, is affected by mining and how there is that effective floor uh, by mining is important. No, I think you did a good job. It, like I said, it's a complex topic and uh, you've got a short time to, to really nail these answers. And I, I think that summarized it well. My last question to you, it's something that I've come across myself and that I don't have a strong understanding of. So I'm looking forward to you really educating me and the rest of the listeners here. But what is a Bitcoin halving and how can that yeah. impact the value of Bitcoin? Sure. The Bitcoin halving is something that is pre-programmed into the Bitcoin protocol to happen approximately every four years. And what is actually halving is the amount of coin that is mineable uh, at any point in time. Um, so in the very, at the very beginning of Bitcoin, the block reward, which is what these miners are competing for, was about is 50 Bitcoin. And the blocks are about every 10 minutes. And the difficulty adjusts to make sure that the blocks happen. You know, as more miners come on, the blocks are found faster. Uh, as difficulty increases, then the blocks become found slower. But then every four years, this number decreases by half. Uh, it's, called it's called a halving event. It's become somewhat of a, uh, of a cult following recently in, in, amongst the Bitcoin natives. And uh, recently, we had, our, we had our last halving, and uh, we went from 12.5 uh, Bitcoin per block to 6.25 Bitcoin. So every 10 minutes, about 6.25 Bitcoin are emitted to the network, and the miners capture that value. And uh, what we have seen traditionally, you know, Bitcoin is not a very mature asset. It's only been around for 10-ish years. You know, we have this big consolidation period uh, prior to a halving, which we saw, you know, the 2020 halving was in, I believe, May of, May of last year. Uh, prior to that, we saw, a, you know, pretty large uh, sell-off from its previous all-time high of around $20,000. The price of Bitcoin continued to consolidate. And then that halving event is somewhat of a catalyst for what we call the bull run, the next bull run, which we are somewhat in the middle of now. It takes about 18 months to, about to 18 months to play out. And then we go into another consolidation period post. And so we're in the middle of that now. And we're, we're experiencing this for now the, um, the fourth time. Well, it depends on how long you've been around, th third or fourth time. And, and I think we will continue to see this, though I believe, in my opinion, the swings will, be, will become smaller and smaller just due to uh, people becoming familiar with this asset and it absorbing some of the value that it's, that it's supposed to be absorbing. Now that we've briefly covered how Bitcoin works, we speak with Federico to understand the psychology that influences its price. My name is Federico and uh, I'm a full-stack software engineer. I uh, co-founded a software development company here in Miami and we, do, we build software and we do consulting from uh, all kinds of tech niches. 
nothing. I got into Bitcoin around the end of 2014, which was around the same time that I was getting into uh, programming and, and tech in general. And I heard about it the first time when I was kind of into domaining world. So I was finding out for the first time that you could actually buy and sell domains and own kind of a, a piece of internet. Right? I was very, you know, I was just starting back then. And so I was hearing about a lot of people buying uh, domains, internet domains related to Bitcoin. And so that was got me a little bit curious and got me to look into it. And at first, you know, at that time, it was still uh, something like, you know, quote unquote, nerd money. You know, digital currency was used in some games, uh, I think, like not even games, like those online communities like uh, Second Life, I think, had a an exchange where you could actually get some of these uh, currencies. And so I started learning about it. And it was actually one of the things that really got me interested into programming because I realized how a piece of software uh, can actually, I would say, augment the power of the internet by allowing us not only to you know, share information, which is what the internet allows us to do, but also to uh, send value now between each other, right? Send uh, yeah, literally sending value I to pay you or you know, micro donations, things like that. So that really made me realize the power, I guess, of software and how a group of people can develop together. Even from you know remote parts of the world, they can remote together something that can be so, um, I would say, changing for society. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I have to say that before our call, you raised some really interesting points on this subject of like the fear of missing out when it comes to Bitcoin. And we're going to break those down now bit by bit. Uh, so when we spoke before the call, you did mention the biological mechanisms that happen when we have fear of missing out. Uh, can you explain to our listeners what happens here? Right, exactly. So let's start from a little definition of uh, fear of missing out. I, you know, There's a few ways to define it, but the way that I like to see it as is um, a pervasive apprehension that uh, you might feel when you perceive that other people are having rewarding experiences uh, and you're basically absent from them, right? So you get this fear of missing out, which basically, what are you missing out on? Think about it. It's you're missing out on dopamine, right? Other people are having these crazy, you know, dopamine experiences and you're, you're just missing out on them. And our brain is, is wired, right? To chase dopamine. That's how we survive. And that's our most important survival mechanism. So you can imagine it's a very strong feeling. And obviously you hear FOMO everywhere. Uh, millennials use it all the time, uh, also like in very colloquial phrases. But yeah. uh, in our particular context, which is finance and Bitcoin, is particularly a strong, strong force because it's not about, uh, uh, like in the context of, of social media, missing out on parties or missing out on events, but it's actually, it, it touches your your wealth, right? Your inner survival or your, your instinct. So, so imagine you uh, maybe heard Bitcoin before or you never, and you have this friend of yours or somebody that you know that suddenly starts getting quote unquote rich or start you know earning money because he bought Bitcoin before you or something. And now the price is going up. You start seeing all over the news. Now, what happens is that you start getting uh, feelings of, you know, anxiety. 
exclusion, isolation, because, you know, all, all the things in your head, like, why is that, uh, especially as a, as a person you consider an idiot, you know, quote, unquote, you're like, oh, why is that guy, you know, now having, you know, getting rich, or why is he, is he having so much luck, and I'm not, uh, I'm so stupid, I didn't, you know, I thought it was not a good idea, but now I probably should, so you start having this, this crazy tornado of emotions, and so your body is, uh, is under stress, right? When we're under stress, we know, release cortisol, uh, really cytokines, so these signaling messengers on in, in, in our cells, and we get into this uh, state of big discomfort, right? So psychological and also physical, because anxiety is very, very strong in this case. Because we're talking about wealth, right? We're, mm. we're very uh, sensitive to that. And so how do we ease this, uh, Sam? We jump on the train as well. We rush and we're buying in also, so we can, first of all, escape the isolation, of being maybe the only guy that haven't bought it yet or haven't is the isolation. And then, you know, the whole dopamine rush that comes with joining this new exciting tech with, with all these people there, everybody's not, everybody's making money. You check the, the, the price every morning and it's green. And so this way, you know, you ride this kind of dopamine train for a while and then eventually it happens that the price crashes or some event causes the, the price to fall or something. And that's where we go from a state of FOMO, right, from fear of missing out, to a state of FUD, it's called, which is uh, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Yeah. And so this is especially true. This gets amplified by uh, the media and the news that we, uh, that we see around. So especially in times where, when price crashes or things are not going so well, media tends to amplify that feeling. And so the person is in this state of thought and what happens when we have fear, uh, the psychological level, we have a fight or flight response, right? And so what do we do in the situation? Now we're holding an asset that is crashing in value, we're having crazy fear because we don't want to lose more of our of our investment and this is especially true for people that acts upon greed and uh -huh. so they don't quote-unquote invest something that they're willing to lose but they go maybe the extra you know just to because they know they can make more i know that this is going to be you know easy and, and fast and so with this fear inside you, you have this fight or flight response at the biochemical level too, and what do you do? There's nothing to fight really, right? Because what, you, you, you can punch the graph and get your money back. So you withdraw and you sell and you get your dollars back at a loss and that translates a whole into a terrible experience and you know, into a whole, you know, a whole journey that started with a FOMO that escalated to and this is like kind of like the classical bitcoin investor story especially like the average private uh, person yeah no i i completely understand what you're saying especially for the fomo part because even though um, i'm not someone that has been completely outside of bitcoin i i bought in 2018 and uh i actually sold it earlier this year in the in may no earlier last year in may mm -hmm. 2020 and uh, even though I sold it a profit and a profit that I was happy with at the time, now that this is like risen up, I'm like, oh man, why did I sell? So exactly. I definitely <laughs> have that FOMO feeling. Um, and I absolutely yeah, I mean, know about and it's that. Always, uh, and it's always, you know, 
the end to look at the past and say, oh my God, I should have done this. It's way easier. But then yeah. when somebody is in the, you know, in the moment, in the present, it's a very, it's a very, you know, unpredictable and it's a mix of emotions. Mm-hmm. I think you summed it up. Unpredictable is, is definitely the word there. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, you also mentioned the psychology of different types of investors and how this impacts overall investment in Bitcoin. Can you explain for our listeners the different types of investors you're talking about and what separates them psychologically? Right, exactly. So what we went over, you know, this kind of cycle of uh, <coughs> formal FUD and this whole uh, kind of journey is a good example of a new buy, of like a kind of a new investor. Because Bitcoin is a, it's not like a regular financial market. By regular, I mean stocks or um, commodities or anything a bit more traditional because it's uh, very volatile. Uh, from one day to another, you can have uh, spikes of 10, 20, 30% maybe, or like something that is like absolutely not uh, common in the regular financial assets. So it's high volatile, therefore it's a high risk, high reward environment. And it's open 24 seven, so there's really no, no breaks. So maybe the, the only thing you can compare it off as a traditional finance, uh, Instrument is a penny stock, right? Something that is very, you know, crazy. That doesn't have, but penny stock don't really have a good uh, reputation, right, in the finance world. So, for this reason, since Bitcoin is this kind of market, it attracted a lot of new buy investors. And what do I mean by new buy investors? Is that people are not emotionally resilient to go through even stages that we discussed uh, mm-hmm. a bit before. So this. So because a trained investor, a trained person in finance will not will not let himself uh, be driven too much by all these emotions. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they, they have received formal training usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've read about other experiences like this. So, you know, they have, they're educated about this kind of, uh, this kind of psychology of the markets. And so um, how do they prevent to, to act erroneously is they have a plan, right? So they, decide before you know i'm going to do this trade and i'm going to hold it this time and if this happened then i'm going to do this if not i'm gonna stop my loss at this point which is okay because if i make 10 trades i can afford to lose a few and so then you have a kind of a battle plan and you go into the the battlefield with you know rules and you discipline yourself to you know not sell before uh when you plan to or you know you act like you planned and uh, this is something that takes a lot of discipline and i think that's what separates what i call like a new buy investor from traditional more uh, seasoned uh, financial uh, investors i completely understand what you're talking about it's almost like you have to override that instinct to think oh no i'm losing get out or like oh wow i'm winning get in or, or like you have to like exactly. really be able to like hold down and not not give in to those emotions, and they're hard to exactly. because it's kind of like a real gut feeling. It's very it's mm-hmm. very innate. I mean, that's it's the product of thousands and millions of years yeah. of evolution. So it's hard to it's hard to very override primal. that. Yeah, very very primal. I would love to know though, how does the fact that Bitcoin is unreg- unregulated impact its price? Right. So it is very regulated now it's starting to be you know it's getting regulated a little bit more uh each year we can still say that it's 
pretty regulated. We're, we're on the edge, I think, to having, because now we have the taxation, we're starting to see legislation and people even starting to understand it. But as especially the first years and the first um, bubbles, it was the Wild Wild West. So what does, so what does lack of regulation results do? First of all, that it's super easy to sign up and get certified and ready to trade on platforms. This is actually a pretty big factor because you don't have to, like if you want to trade stocks, you go through a process, you verify your ID, give a bill of where you, you know, you prove where you live and then it takes seven days and then you get approved and then maybe there's a minimum deposit of a thousand dollars if you want to trade some stocks, et cetera, et cetera. So you see the barrier of entry is you need to be pretty motivated and maybe say, you know, I want to be a trader, I want to do this, you know, seriously. And then, you know, you enter into this field. But with an unregulated asset like Bitcoin, literally an email and a password, and you're inside the platform, uh, an exchange, right? I'm talking about, again, early Bitcoin years and uh, uh, early exchanges, because now, you know, again, they're catching up, they're especially the ones that deal with dollars too and euros and the fiat currency, they stepped up the regulation, they asked for ID, et cetera. But let's talk about other exchanges, you know, the unregulated ones where it's super easy again to sign up and get certified. And so you literally have no friction to enter this, uh, this market. And, uh, and maybe even no minimum investment, you can get a PayPal of $30 and start buying a little bit of Bitcoin and, and, and that's it. So this means that it's much easier for a mass of people to flock into the market and start bringing liquidity, right? Especially as we were talking before, the kind of investors that are more uh, new buy and they have a big optimism on, on easy wealth. The fact that there's no regulation lets them sign up immediately and trade immediately, that's, that's a big uh, factor uh, affecting price for sure. Another thing about uh, uh, regulation is that since you don't have a stable legal framework that sustains this currency, what happened uh, was that there were major legislative moves. For example, there was a, I'm talking especially about nationwide bans that happened. For example, Russia banned cryptocurrencies at some period, China banned cryptocurrencies at some period. And so the fact that an asset is unregulated, it means that big laws can come into effect and that, come on, you can imagine like if you are holding something and it becomes illegal from a week to another, you know, maybe if you're kind of um, trust your skills as a tech guy or something, you'll still hold it. Maybe you'll transfer to a more secure wallet, something like that. But if you're not, you know, you don't trust your technical ability so much, which is fine because nobody is <laughs> supposed to be a, a hacker then obviously you're going to be in a situation where, oh my God, it's illegal. I should probably sell them, get rid of it. And, you know, all, all these things. So obviously this affects the price. And I remember in the, in the early years, there was really communities of people gathering in forums and waiting for, for the midnight of that day, a certain hour to see if China would pass a law or ban it because they were ready to, you know, like make, uh, make trades. Another two aspects of the non-regulation is, is also the false advertisement that Bitcoin brought and the fact that it was very easy to get away with scams. I could set up a fake investment uh, fund uh, that has a beautiful website and 
explains you how we have a secret algorithm that generates profit and if you invest into it we'll share with you you know these things a lot of people did a lot of these scams and a lot of pyramid skips and got away with it simply because again there was not enough regulation to effectively you know go after these people and or at least not allowing them to take investors money and then uh, one very interesting aspect of not not uh, not being regulated was the altcoins, right? So what are altcoins? Altcoins are alternative cryptocurrencies, right? So Bitcoin was born, and naturally people take that project. Some people take the project, and their their instinct is, how can I make this better, right? How can I make my own Bitcoin or something? So. Altcoins are generally categorized you know, between the in, I, I I mentally categorize them into the in, in not innovative ones, the ones which yeah maybe they took code from Bitcoin but then put their own uh, engineering into it, and this is true with uh, things like Ethereum. But for example, Ethereum is something is an altcoin that brought some innovations. But what I want to get is that a lot of other coins are simply. Uh, a copy of Bitcoin because Bitcoin is an open source software, so you can see the code, you can see the. the so naturally, you can copy, change the name of the variable of the software and call it uh, Federico Coin, run it on a few servers, and then I created my own decentralized little currency network, right? But have I done something innovative, something nice? No, I just created a clone. So that means that I created a less liquid market than Bitcoin, so my own coin. And that allows people to do to run what are called pump and dump scams. Uh-huh. And so, again, because of the lack of regulation, it's easy to have these very tiny and illiquid markets where uh, you even see celebrity endorsements, right? The the actor, the athlete that says, you know, buy this coin and wears the T-shirt of, you know, the coin. And then everybody jumps and buy this coin. And what happens is that the original, the ones who was taking the coin's region, they just dump it. They just dump the price. And so the people that bought in and love, end up with the worthless tokens in their hands and the people that bought in have the dollars that they literally sucked in from them. And so this is definitely a consequence of not having uh, of the of the unregulated world. So lots of scams, lots of uh, not too many boundaries. Also, I mean, in your bank account, something happens, you have somebody that you can call, right? Mm-hmm. And you can tell them, you know, listen, this happened, this happened, what's going on? But with Bitcoin, it's really your cryptographic key, your wallet. Um, that's it pretty much. So Yeah, it's your responsibility. I think when you mentioned um, the Bitcoin scams, the one that comes to me, and I think it's become a bit of a meme, is that BitConnect oh, with boy, that yeah, super so uh, charismatic, I wouldn't even say charismatic, energetic guy on stage. Yeah. Especially when he's like, this is not a scam. People say this is a scam. <laughs> exactly. It was a scam. <laughs> so exactly. yeah, that's the first thing that comes to mind. But um, oh, yeah. One thing that really stuck out for me that you mentioned before the call is how trading bots stop losses can create a domino effect that mixed with non-savvy investors creates crazy price dips and rallies. Can you explain to our listeners how this works? Absolutely. If I have to right now write a bot, that a bot is a software, right? It's a piece of code at the end of the day. If I had to write a bot that interfaces with some banking, right? Mm-hmm. If I have to write a bot that interfaces with some kind of banking service, some kind of banking software, I have to go through a lot of hoops. Maybe I have to go through an ID check. My company has to go through 
a check itself of our you know, background checks, etc. My own software needs to have certain encryption standards, right, by law. So I need to have certain criteria to met in order to write a software that will communicate, you know, do anything they need to do with some highly regulated. Now let's go to the opposite example highly unregulated environment right to answer this question let's we can kind of make uh i can make a metaphor right and let's make a soup together usually these exchanges just like you just log in with email and password they would give you a uh, a secret password called an api key and with that you could literally write code and uh, write software plug that key inside your software and interact programmatically with those for example we're talking about exchanges here right now right bitcoin mm-hmm. exchanges and so i could easily write a bot that every second every five minutes every whatever i want checks a few financial indicators checks maybe the sentiment of tweets with the hashtag bitcoins whatever mm-hmm. it does whatever my algorithm does and then makes a trade buys sell without me doing anything right without me physically pressing the buttons right so very easy to make kind of custom software to interact with this thing and that's one ingredient for our for our soup this soup is called the bitcoin price now the second ingredient would be that uh, we have these exchanges again also due to the fact that they're unregulated they have always have crazy leverage available mm-hmm. what is leverage is when on a financial asset, I want to invest more than what I have. So I use this, this instrument called leverage, which means I borrow money from a pool of liquidity. And so now instead of uh, having $10 to invest, I have 20, which means that if the whatever I'm buying goes up in price, I'm earning uh, as if I invested $20. I don't earn as if I invested $10. Mm-hmm. Well, the opposite is also true, though. If the asset loses value, I lose a lot more value. We're talking about leverages of 10, even 50. A platform you're heading for 100 times. So this is definitely another thing to keep in mind. Now, the third thing, third ingredient is Bitcoin market has no trading halt. Apparently, like Wall Street has trading halts. So if... You know something big is going on in the world or something that can negatively affect the price of stocks might happen then the stock will close to prevent lizard people from getting big damages mm-hmm. and then the fourth ingredient of this is the the fact that these uh, non-savvy investors are ready to act with these emotions mm-hmm. and they have you know some of them are maybe programmers they made these these bots they have they have these things so let's put this all this together and you have a recipe of disaster why because you mix everything together and you have these non-investors, right? You have them using crazy leverages because they want that high risk, right? high reward, you know, they're greedy. Mm-hmm. Then you have trading bots, which literally are programmed to act uh, without any human, you know, that can do anything. And then you have no trading halts, right? All these ingredients. If you put them all together, you see that you have a recipe for disaster because now... Let's say the price crashes a little bit. It triggers some sell orders from some bots, and that triggers lowers the price because obviously, if, if you know somebody's selling, that lowers the price even more, which trigger more bots to to sell and more stop losses from other investors. So that is what really makes those rallies, those big dips, 
is that really creates this uh, this domino effect that mixed with you know these circumstances it's uh, it amplifies really really much compared to traditional uh, financial assets yeah i suppose that kind of shines a bit of light onto what we're kind of seeing now potentially and what we're what we're experiencing during this this crazy time for bitcoin Absolutely. Uh, so my final question to you relating to bitcoin fomo i'd love to know how does the news influence public opinion and ultimately the price of bitcoin right so the news it's a love and hate relationship mm -hmm. for somebody that is a a bitcoin user or a bitcoin enthusiast because love because i'm grateful that bitcoin got on the news right it got on a headline of cnn it got on a headline of forbes because without the news, without these uh, outlets, uh, you know, the word would not spread. Nobody would know about this technology, right? And so it's good that it is in the news because then somebody might read it for the first time and then research it and discover it, right, thanks to an article. But it's also a hate because news tend to ride whatever rumors or hype is in that moment. I mean, I don't blame them at all because it's their business model. They're publishing articles, they have ads, they need clicks, they need traffic. And so, I mean, I don't blame that. But uh, having this in mind, you know, makes you understand why, you know, you kind of see the same patterns when it comes to news outlets and articles that are coming out about Bitcoin. Uh, and about the public opinion, they definitely fuel and amplify both FOMO and FOD, FODO, FOMO because you see articles like, oh, the 13-year-old kid who just bought a Lamborghini <laughs> because he was mining Bitcoins, you know, like a few years back and et cetera, et cetera. And that naturally make, it creates the crazy FOMO inside you. And then on the FOD side, the, the fear side, they amplify the, the fear because, okay, the price is starting to crash. And you see a lot of headlines that, you know, are clearly saying, oh, it's the end of Bitcoin, it's, it's over, and uh, it will be worth like toilet paper and, and things like that. I mean, toilet paper was <laughs> pretty valuable. Yeah, back. certainly. So maybe it's not a best, exactly, <laughs> not a best uh, comparison. But, no, yeah, they, they amplified what's going on in the markets. And another thing that they do is they give maybe sometimes like skewed perception of the tech abilities of Bitcoin. So sometimes they'll praise its amazing anonymity. And then you see people that think that, you know, the Bitcoin is so anonymous. Like, for example, I've taught a course to law enforcement in Italy a few years back in 2018. And there were a lot of people that clearly thought that they were arrested, they were subject to investigation, various types of uh, crimes. And uh, when interrogated, they were convinced that Bitcoin was really anonymous and there was no way for the investigators to, to get to, you know, whatever they were doing. And a lot of times it was because, you know, the news stands, you know, maybe they've read a lot of articles that says, you know, Bitcoin is anonymous. And, and this is a little bit of a skewed perception that the, the news gave me on the, on the technical abilities of Bitcoin, because somebody that is more technical knows that Yes, it's not that it's not anonymous or is anonymous. It's more about how you uh, move your coins, how you keep your wallet separate. And it's always a cat and mouse game also. Like if you have an adversary that is motivated enough, it's literally a cat and mouse game. Whoever puts more energy into either tracking or hiding the, the, the coins. And so, and this is something that, for example, in the news, you don't see uh, talked about too much. 
uh, it's always a Bitcoin is anonymous or Bitcoin is not anonymous, right? It's, it's always black or white. And sometimes it's not that they, they make these things up, right? I'm not just bashing on the news uh, like crazy. Sometimes the source is, is okay. They take maybe an official piece of data, but then it's all it's about, you know, making it sound however like it gets it. you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. However, whatever gets you to, to click on that, on the mm-hmm. line, literally. So yeah, maybe a, an official development release says that, uh, you know, we're having, you know, there's a little problems with the transaction anonymity because you know the blocks uh, are being updated or some technical and that which basically means that for example for a few months or until the next software update comes there is a little bit of a anonymity issue and then it will be fixed but the news again takes this as a you know bitcoin is not anonymous will not be forever and so um, i think a pro tip that i can give to anyone that wants to learn more about Bitcoin is obviously to stay a little bit away from the fancy news articles into the uh, things like this and go follow and read what the, the real developers are saying. Right. Because again, Bitcoin is a software at the end of the day and uh, it's powered by code written by uh, some people. Well, we don't know who's the original creator of the first release, right? But there are maintainers. There are maintainers. There's people that maintain and write code as a team of, uh, I think they're organized as a non-profit, I believe. But these developers do maintain and do update a lot Bitcoin. And, and these people are the, the real source of, uh, I think, the best source of information you can get because these are the ones that, you know, describe the current state of what Bitcoin is able to do. Mm-hmm. what it's not able to do so so how do you find these things either you find their personal twitter their personal blogs things like that or there is a i don't know if uh, maybe i should explain to you this or, there's a website called github mm-hmm. and github is a website is a web platform where uh, software engineers or any programmer publishes open source code right so it's um and since bitcoin is an open source software it is 100 percent published on on github and so through this platform not only you can read the actual code that powers everything so you can read how transactions get created how they get approved how a wallet work etc etc all these complications and at the same time you can see the bugs the, the errors that are in there the uh, issues that other people file uh, you can see the what are called commits Commits are just new code that gets added, that gets committed to the software. So by looking at this, you kind of get an idea of the current state of, of the, the currency. Obviously, it's not super easy information to parse, but it's it's definitely the, you know, the most truthful source. And definitely, yeah, the, the best source of truth. And finally, the moment you've all been waiting for, our guest price predictions of Bitcoin in 2021. I think you will see six-figure Bitcoin in 2021. That is my simple answer. And why do I think that is quite a bit more complicated? Uh, I think that we will see that due to increased demand by uh, institutions. Uh, We've already seen institutions using Bitcoin as a way to hold their treasury as a hedge against the inevitable inflation that will come as a result of the money printing that occurred in 2021 in response to the coronavirus. Furthermore, I think we're going to see continued demand from uh, countries that maybe aren't you know, 
first world economies where uh, capital constraints are in place and it's very difficult to either move money out of the native currency or move money between international uh, jurisdictions, that becomes uh, trivial on Bitcoin. Uh, it's pretty much a non-issue. And I think that that demand will continue to drive the value of Bitcoin as well. And without sounding hyperbolic, I think that we could see Bitcoin assume something like a world reserve currency, uh, whether you know nations decide to accept that or not. Um, it's really up to the people. And I think that's what makes Bitcoin so beautiful is that it doesn't really matter what uh, what anybody in power thinks. It will continue to operate and it, it offers freedom to people that maybe didn't have it before. So I don't really care what the price of Bitcoin is. Um, obviously, you know, my business does. But in the end, the reason I started building on Bitcoin and the reason I'm so interested in cryptocurrency as a whole is the freedom that it offers people. There is no central authority to tell you what you can and can't do. And I think that's really beautiful. So I'm really focused on looking in 2021 at how the developers are solving these problems of scalability, especially. I'm keeping a big eye on the Lightning Network. And as far as price, who knows uh, what major news can come up, you know, something that can come to my mind is that well, let's say that the uh, irs uh, declares that the taxation on bitcoin is going to be very high you know that's not going to be a f that's not going to affect the price very good but at the same time it can give a very advantageous taxation laws and that can be good for the price really really it's, it's so much entropy that trying to predict something is uh, the it's almost impossible <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that will be riding the Lambos. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Nick, I want to know if people want to follow you or keep up with uh, the work you're doing at Lux Technologies. How can they do that? Yeah. So uh, my personal is uh, on Twitter. I've got at Lux or at Nick Hansen six hundred uh, on Twitter. I'm pretty active there. We also have at Luxor Tech team. If you want to follow the Luxor Mining team, we post a lot of stuff about, you know, more details about the, you know, about mining, um, industry news, trends. Uh, and then we also have a, a newsletter on hashrateindex.com that you can subscribe to. We give out a weekly newsletter, summarizes, you know, uh, say the last week of, uh, of mining news. Uh, we also talked about, you know, some of the cryptocurrency mining stocks, which are, you know, very hot right now. And then we go into, uh, another another topic we call the rig index, which is if you do come down the rabbit hole with us, you'll find that uh, not only the price of Bitcoin is very volatile, but actually Bitcoin miners is just or are just as volatile, uh, or if not more, along with so many other aspects of the industry that is uh, really really interesting as it begins to mature. So at Nick Hansen 600 at Luxor Tech Team uh, at Hashrate Index HashrateIndex.com, find us there and uh, love to chat with you about this stuff. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. If people want to keep up with you and learn more about what you're doing or just hear more from you, how can they do that? Is there a website you can send people to or social media they can follow you on? Uh, company website, thekeen.com. We're going to start a blog right now. We're going to publish some technical articles. And then I have my personal website, which is defaverifederi.co, D-E-F-A-V-E-R-I.co. 
And so that's my personal website. I blog at blockchainlion.com. I mean, I have a couple of things going on, but the best place is to definitely my personal website where I'll be updating with the, where all my links, uh, my portfolio things, and my company website for sure. Awesome. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I learned a lot and uh, I hope our listeners did too. All right. Thank you so much, Samuel. Tell Me Your Startup Will Disrupt Industries, I'll add you to a list of thousands of other entrepreneurs who have said the same thing and failed. Sure, you believe in your company and its product, but it's one thing saying this yourself and another to have an industry influencer say it about you. And that is the power of digital PR. If you're ready to gear your business towards growth and gain, our sponsor Publicize is a digital communication agency that has helped businesses like yours gain exposure in major online publications for the past decade. To find out more, visit publicize.co slash bbb. That is the end of today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this and you want to hear more episodes just like it, then follow and subscribe to Brain Spike Back wherever you get your podcasts. We are also available on YouTube, under the channel of our publication, The Sociable. Just search Brains Bite Back and you will find all of our episodes there. We really love hearing from you, so leave us a review on iTunes and on other podcasting platforms to let us know what you think and we'll give you a shout out on the show. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at, at The Sociable. And finally, go to sociable.co where you can find all our episodes and plenty of articles on topics just like this. Thanks again for joining us and until next time, stay healthy and stay safe.